Howdy, howdy, howdy. Welcome to We Talk About Dead People, the true story podcast of the next generation. This is going to be weird, um, but and it maybe it's not the first time I've done this, I don't think. I've thought about doing it before. I just want you guys to know that this episode is pretty dark. And when I started doing the research, I didn't realize how bad it was going to get. I've seen some... I mean... I didn't put a warning at the beginning of Garbles. <laughs> I don't think. Maybe I did. That might have been the first one where I felt like I really needed to have a, uh, a warning. Um, but I just want to warn you guys that this one gets really real. It gets really dark. It's... Uh, that's, uh, that's about all I can say. Um, there's only a few times when I've been researching a historical account where I've gone, wow, I can feel this on the deepest possible level of my humanity. Uh, it gets, it gets, uh, I don't, I mean, I'm not trying to hype this. Trust me. I'm not trying to hype it. I'm just telling you, just be aware of what you're about to get into. Cause it gets, uh, it gets really real and you're going to feel it. Most of y'all will be fine, <laughs> but I, I couldn't handle it. So, uh, so uh, yeah, just just be just be aware of what you're about to get into, and uh, I hope you if you go past this, you learn from the show. Um, maybe not that you enjoy it, um, but that you you definitely learn from it, come away from it feeling like you've experienced or learned or learned something that you didn't know before. Um, yeah, here goes. Take care. It is believed that approximately a hundred and thirty thousand Romanian soldiers were captured by the Soviets and taken away to die in the gulags. Most of them died. Some did not, but most of those died. Yeah, it's so, surprising. keep in mind, this is basically almost as high a number as their losses after three years of World War II. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah, trusting the Soviets <laughs> makes Michael I tonight's biggest loser. <laughs> Welcome to We Talk About Dead People, a podcast where we talk about dead people. I'm your host, Aaron C., and I'm here with my good friend and co-host, George. Say hi, George. Hi. <laughs> man, you gotta get better at this. <laughs> what can I say, man? I'm not a people person. Yeah, I know. That's why we, we sit behind podcast mics and just talk to nothing all week long. We hide our disfigured hideousness behind these <laughs> electronic veils. You guys better be happy there's not a video element to this podcast. Jeez. We hope to keep our listeners entertained and interested while we break down various members from the odd and exciting family that is humanity. The way this works is that George and I will do our amateurs best to give a basic account of the major events in the life of a now dead person and give a fairly accurate depiction of their individual character, which is harder to do, but we're going to try anyway. Hold up. I've got to change this script. Our amateurs best? Only one of us is an amateur. Ho oh. ho. Ho ho. That's right, everybody. George is a certified grade A. Can you call yourself a historian? Are you? Yes? Uh, depends who I'm talking to. If sure. I'm talking to someone in a history department, no. If I'm talking to someone outside of academia, yes. Okay, gotcha. So we're like a half history historian. Half. Wow, I'm yeah, just... Yeah. Uh, see, I just did that thing with my mouse again where I was just clicking around for no good reason. And that click is going to be in there for the first couple of minutes, but it's not going to be in there now because I just unplugged my mouse. No more annoying clicks from me. Okay. Uh, Aaron has started the 12-step program. That's right. So, George, who do we have this week? Well, I cut open a goat and read its liver, and the ah. prophecy therein revealed... 
told me that we will be covering yet another commie bastard this week. Oh good, there's nothing I like better than covering a solid communist leader. So is this the part of the show where we stop pretending that you don't have a solid bias against communists? Look, one of these days I'll just be a communist and the utopia will finally be here and there won't be anything to stop it. So tell me, Aaron, did your homeschool education ever tell you what utopia actually means? No. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha! School me. Well, it actually, it's, um, it's a made-up word. Uh, made, oh. up, made up by Thomas More. It comes from two Greek words, but actually three. <laughs> so topos means a place. U is a prefix that means good, but au is a prefix that means not. It's a negative. And so an utopia is the good place, but also the not place because it doesn't actually exist. <laughs> That's really funny, actually. <laughs> yep, Sarah there. I've, I've, I've pulled my weight for the week. I'm going to make wow. some coffee and put my feet up now. I was going to say <laughs> shit. <laughs> well, it's definitely going to be a hoot and a half because we're going to be talking about commies all over again. And <laughs> honestly, this one this one's pretty dark. I mean... Are you suggesting that we will be trying real communism? Uh, yes, we're actually going to try real communism this time. I mean, we we faked it every other time before. I mean, yeah, there's um, this that synthetic communism, like, man, the hangover from that? Jeez. Mm -hmm. Real bad. Real you got to stay away from that stuff, kids. So, yeah, today we talk about dead people is going to go down in history as the first podcast that ever tried real communism. Well, hell yeah, <laughs> Border, let's get it started. Let's go. <laughs> In a world known as Romania, one man stood up and said, Real communism has never been tried. Join us, let's well, more like 10 people stood up. Maybe 15. Join us as we cover the man with the name you can't pronounce without a guide. Which, for all of you seekers out there, is Nicolae Ceausescu. I don't know why it's spelled like that or how the hell it even makes sense to pronounce it that way, but it's Romanian, so what do you expect? So, George, tell me, if you had to conquer a small country, what strategy would you employ and how would you finally discover or not, uh, discover whether or not aliens exist? Well, Aaron, I think I would probably go to one of those small island nations with a tiny population in the thousands whose entire economy relies on foreign capital, brutally overthrow, overthrow it by force of arms since I'd have to overpower their entire military of three or four people with outdated Soviet weaponry. <laughs> I would then offer it as a tax haven and sell citizenship to plutocrats and capitalists from all over the world, thus <laughs> ensuring our national survival since the plutocrats and the capitalists sure as hell don't want to lose their tax haven. And with all the money I will be bringing in with this scheme... I will simply pay the governments of the world to tell me about the aliens because money is the only way anything gets done. That it sounds like you've thought about that a lot. I haven't. <laughs> Was that really just off the cuff? Yes. That's hilarious. <laughs> wow, it's gut busting already. <clears throat> if I had to conquer a small country. My strategy would probably be, oh shit, I should. I wrote the question, I should have thought about this. Yeah, come on, like, I had an answer, I didn't even see the question in advance. Okay, here's what I would do, I would, I would uh, run on a platform uh, for, for office uh, that every citizen would be entitled to a free copy of Minecraft, and 
uh, an unlimited supply of coffee and monster. And wait, wait, wait! That... Which, which monsters? Which monster? Oh, the white monster. <laughs> okay, okay. I'm tracking. I'm tracking. Come on. <laughs> um, and so that 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 way, of course, I would get voted into office because everyone wants um everyone wants Minecraft and coffee and white monster. Um, and then to find out if whether or not aliens exist, well, I would be the president, so I think I'd just read the book of secrets, and then of course I would share it with the world, whether or not aliens actually existed. Of course, if I told them. They wouldn't believe me either way. Aliens exist. That president's crazy. Aliens don't exist. He's lying. It's a cover-up. So, I would know. But they wouldn't. And you would die justified in that knowledge. <laughs> All right. Computer, please bring up Nikolai Ceausescu. Affirmative, my lord. So, tell me, Aaron, what is the Romanian with the unpronounceable name best known for? Well, he's, um... He's best known for one, being a commie bastard, which, you know, we can make those jokes over here in America. It's, it's, it's fine. It's funny. Uh, sorry, I'm typing something right now because I'm not paying attention to the show. Uh, he's best known for being a dictator who is completely forgotten by the sands of time, except in Romania. The land of milk and honey. Yes. And what did this jolly boy Nikolai Ceausescu look like? Uh, he oh, looks like... Oh, oh, sorry, I just... I, Oh, I just scrolled down. You saw the picture? Ooh, I, I Never gonna unsee the picture, man. Uh, I apologize. He, he looks like a little bitch, and he's got the whole shebang going on here. Um, he's got these dark eyes pointing kind of two different directions, a nose that looks like a damn harpoon. Slick back hair, as he, that's a, we talk about dead people's staple. And but, but it looks like he tried to slick it back in two different directions and couldn't make up his mind and just kept going <laughs> back and true. forth. It's like rolling hills <laughs> on the top of his head. Uh, and the worst part of all, the first thing you see when you look at this guy is his lips. His lips look like he tried to make out with a vacuum, but the vacuum won. And this is not the vacuum you have in your home. This is one of those industrial ones at the car wash. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> definitely. That bad. Go take a look at him. You'll never forget it, and you'll never sleep again. <laughs> Alright, so... Here's a little context for our listeners. Uh, George is a trained historian when he's not in the history department, and I am an amateur. So as I was going along in this story, I was discovering all this stuff and focusing on different stuff. Um, where, uh, you know, and George has uh, a completely, I would say, better understanding of some of the stuff that went on in here. Um, but, so I'm just going to give the general overview, and we're going to allow George to interject whenever he wants to correct me if I say some dumb fuck amateur historian bullshit. Okay? Okay. So, we're going to do what we always do. Um, we are going to do the full history of Romania. What? He's crazy. No, he's not. He's just obsessed. <laughs> Since the dawn of time. Yes. <laughs> So let's start off by talking briefly about this general history of Romania as a whole. This is a country that not that many people think about, at least not in America, and its history is kind of garbled by the fact that it wasn't always called Romania, which is not a new thing, of course. Before the era of nations in the West, there were kingdoms and realms and old-fashioned shit like that, which would eventually assemble into nations, but not before some really dank memes went down. And if you want to see this process play out in real time, I suggest you visit the great state of Pennsylvania. <laughs> Where we still have kingdoms and realms and old-fashioned shit like that. It's true, I've been there once, and I saw, um, I saw somebody's head get chopped off for 
not paying the tax to the king. It was really horrifying. Uh, really glad it's in America. <laughs> Um, at least it's not New Jersey. As for Romania, it actually possesses the oldest known remains of Homo sapiens in Europe. Throughout the prehistorical times, Romanians developed a largely agrarian culture and were known for their salt mines, which just means oh, that they were mean so lords. Literally the world's first gamers. <laughs> <laughs> so when we get past the whole BC section of Romanian history, because I'm going to skip all of it, and get into the ADs, we're dealing with the classic shit that most of Europe had to deal with. Things such as the development of Christendom, the unification of tribes into kingdoms, wars with Mongols, and eventually uh, tribute to Ottoman leaders so they don't have to have wars. It's a whole thing. Um, Vlad the Impaler's in there somewhere, but we already talked about him, so let's move on. Um, Romania developed something like a monarchy in the face of Ottoman takeover around 1600, with two of its three major provinces uniting with the Holy League. Care to tell us what the Holy League was, George? The Holy League was a pretty badass attempt at a international solidarity movement between Catholic nations for military support against Turkish invasions. Because during the 17th and the 16th century, like, the Turks were majorly imperialist and expansionist. Like, they were invading Europe left and right. And they weren't just, like, doing the old classic, we're going to come in and take all the cool-looking stuff and then leave. Like, they were playing for keeps. They literally wanted to conquer huge portions of what we consider Europe. So this was a real problem. So the Holy League was a varying group, depending on the year, of Catholic nations in Europe who agreed to help defend and support each other and coordinate fighting back against the Turks. Cool. That's better than what I put in the not script. Uh, thank you for that. <laughs> so, obviously, uh, Europe is at, is at war with the, uh, the Ottoman Empire. It's constantly a problem. Um, and, you know, these wars eventually came to an end. Um, and after these wars, Moldavia and Wallachia experienced their own revolutions, and this was in the mid-1850s. But these revolts were put down. It would not be until 1862 when Romania actually united Moldavia and Wallachia into a single entity known as Romania. This occurred under the rule of Alexandru Ioan Cusa, who then went on to secularize the whole country. Um, however, he met with resistance from some conservative radicals who actually forced him to abdicate in 1866. Don't know if you know anything about that. <laughs> uh, it's kind of before my time period. Gotcha. So after Alexandru's abdication, it would be uh, 15 years before a new ruler would be put into place. Actually, can I? It is. I think it is important to to note, um, just for people's background, that Romania is predominantly, at least among what are considered the Romanian elites, an Orthodox country. So mm. while you had minority populations of Catholic, of mostly Catholic, but a few other like religious minorities, most of what uh, constitutes sort of Romanian society would be considered orthodox. Gotcha. That's good to know. I actually did not know that. Um, so yeah, in 1881, a new prince, a German by the name of Carol I, was elected to run the government. After this, Romania was hurtling toward unification with Transylvania. However, Transylvania ended up unifying with Hungary in 1867 with the arrival of the Austro-Hungarian Compromise. Lesson learned, Romania. You snooze, you lose. Well, things never really settled down for old Romania from this point forward, for we have at least, uh, we have at last arrived at the massive clubhouse clusterfuck that was World War I. 
And like all countries in World War I, Romania was not free from the entanglements of all the treaties and politics that came with that conflict. I'm not even gonna get into it because honestly, I don't care. Uh, <laughs> unless you wanted to say something about it. No, no, that that's a podcast in and of itself. Yeah. Um, we should do that sometime. Like, really map out the network of World War One and how it all got started. Aaron, you dumb fuck, we're trying to gain listeners here. <laughs> so at the beginning of this war, uh, World War One, that is, the big one, Romania was neutral, but it would later join the Allies and attack Germany and Austro-Hungary. It would also later be soundly defeated, and then occupied by Axis forces. Um, is that wrong? Shit. Little point of terminology here. The Axis is World War Two. Oh, so <laughs> you're thinking I, of the Central Powers. Oh my God. Hold on, I'll fix it. Central forces. Okay, it would be soundly defeated and later occupied by the Central Forces. Is it called the Central Powers? It's, all, central it's, always, it's always as a phrase, the Central Powers. <laughs> You'd think I'd never cracked a history book in my life. <laughs> oh, man. I've been doing this for two years, bud, and I still don't know that the Axis didn't exist in World War I. <laughs> and they still do on the dark side of the moon. Oh, my God. <laughs> Now, of course, we all know what's going on in Russia at this point. We've covered it again and again on this show. The Russian Revolution is in full swing, and the Tsar's power over the people is collapsing. So Russia goes from being an ally to Romania to being an enemy of Romania, which is not good news for Romania, because <laughs> now it's trapped. Yeah, and you, all, you also have to think about this in terms of the religious forces at play in that Russia at that point was the orthodox world power, and so all smaller orthodox countries generally had a kind of mutually beneficial relationship with Russia where Russia was like their big brother. Mm. And so when Russia suddenly becomes a rabidly and violently secularist Soviet state, suddenly this relationship is... Um, completely destroyed which is really hard to do when you've had literal centuries of sort of mute of mutual esteem and suddenly this person who you used to be really close to just completely becomes the worst nightmare you could possibly have yeah and it it it, it turns into a worse nightmare uh, over the course of the two world wars uh uh full disclosure everybody i got depressed reading about romania i oh my god it's so dark um I don't want to overemphasize it, but I, 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 I was in a dark place. Like, I was wearing all black and smoking cigarettes and looking out at the rain and just being like, man, the whole world sucks. Wow, were you LARPing as me in college? Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't do the full LARP, though, because I can't grow a respectable beard. So, for what that's worth. So, Romania went the opposite direction that Russia went in the 1920s. Uh, the new system that arose during this time was pretty basic. Uh, in Romania, adult males had the vote, and although women were not allowed to vote, they were given new rights meant to put them on equal legal footing as men, except for the whole voting thing. Over the course of a couple of years, the nation essentially turned into what has been described as a nation of small landowners. It was all something of a... this. And correct me if this terminology is wrong, I'm you know I'm a moron, so... It turned into something like a multicultural, civic, national, monarchical state. <laughs> Um, with minorities. I, yeah, I think that's reasonable. That is a lot of adjectives, but yeah, that, that sounds pretty good to me. I don't know what the hell it was, um, but minorities made up about 30% of the population, so it wasn't like 
just the Romani people. There were, there were, um, uh, fill me in, I can't remember the names. There was the, hmm. Should have written it down, shouldn't I? <laughs> yeah, so, um, you have German minorities, you have minorities from some of the Balkan countries, probably have a small Greek minority, um, yeah, you've got you've got a lot of, but it's most it's mostly their neighbors. It's mostly all the neighboring areas. You obviously have a Hungarian minority that's actually still Hungary and Romania still have a lot of bitter feelings about territorial disputes. Hmm, that's interesting. I did not know that. So during this time, uh, as as it was a nation of small landowners, um, Romania became a largely industrialized state as well. But its main economic source was its agricultural system. Now, unfortunately for Romania, a two-party system is beginning to take hold. On one side, you have the National Liberal Party, and on the other side, you have the National Peasants Party. Guess who stands where? Actually, don't guess. Let uh, let George tell you. <laughs> it would be safe to say that the uh, the National Peasants Party would be what we would consider the right-wing party. Gotcha. And the uh, the National Liberal Party would be the left-wing. You know, <laughs> oh my god, I'm cutting that out. <laughs> But there's another little uh, piece in this political game uh, in Romania, and it's called a monarchy. And remember, at this point, we have uh, we have King Carol. Uh, actually, this is his son, King Carol II, in power, and he's known for being a bit authoritarian. So authoritarian, in fact, that in 1938, he transformed Romania from a parliamentary democracy into a royal dictatorship. Is that happening somewhere in the world today? I wonder. Crickets. <laughs> uh, it's so funny, though, the number of different political systems Romania tried as, as a united state, you know? Um, and how quickly they went through them. It was like trying on hats at the goddamn lid store. <laughs> <laughs> um, of course, 1938 is a hallmark year for uh, people who are of the history persuasion, and we all know what's coming next year. That's right! World War II has finally begun to swing like a pissed-off chimp in a tree. So, where does this authoritarian monarchical dictatorship find itself? Take a guess. You gonna take a guess? Um, at Chili's? <laughs> You're actually right. Uh, they were at Chili's and everybody was having the... Having the... What's their favorite... Or their famous onion thing? Is it a bloomin' onion? Or is that... No, that's Outback Steakhouse. I don't know. I only went to Chili's once, and I got terrible food poisoning. Oh, shit. Well, that's not a surprise at all. If you're going to get food poisoning in one place, it's probably going to be Chili's. And that, yeah, that is the second worst thing to happen to Chili's outside of the outbreak of World War II for Romania. Exactly, exactly. They were complicit in the outbreak of World War II, in fact. Chili's uh, invaded Poland. It wasn't Hitler. It was Chili's. You can spell Chili's using the letters in Hitler's name. Well, I'm homeschooled. I wouldn't know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So here's here's the deal with Romania. So they're a monarchical di dictatorship, very authoritarian. Um, and you can pretty much guess who they're going to side with based on that. Um, Romania, wa Romania was a major oil supplier to Nazi Germany at the outbreak of the war, but they're also in the highly desirable and not at all deadly situation of being nestled right between the claims of Nazi Germany and the Soviet Union. Remember, Rom Romania is clearly not a communist country right now. In fact, it's something like the complete opposite of communist. Um, throughout the war, Romania would hemorrhage territory to the Soviet Union and Bulgaria as Carol II became more and more unpopular. 
1940, the king abdicated the throne and handed it down to his son, a man known as Michael I. Uh, the first, um, and under Michael's rule, Romania was transformed into what's called a national legionary state, which is a fascist state under a constitutional monarchy. I know it's confusing. I wanted to break my computer while reading about all this. Yeah, there's 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 a lot a lot that goes into into all this. So while while Carol is still in charge, he's basically losing control of the country because you are getting increasingly powerful factions within the government both of both within the left and the right you have a um, a rising orthodox christian nationalism uh that is associated with but distinct from the national peasants party but at the same time you also have sympathetic movements to the soviet union that are rising so you have sort of left-wing infiltration of parts of government and it is getting absolutely wacko um you're starting to get into that bad phase of any Wikipedia article, which is the sort of events leading up to blank section. Yeah. And you're having political assassinations, both on both left and right. Um, you know, you're having high school students be murdered by police for uh, demonstrating. Like, it's it's getting really, really bad. And in addition to his failure to maintain control of the country, Carol also had quite a series of pretty well-known affairs and so he was he was not seen as a very good king at mm. this point and <coughs> excuse me and so you had people both on the left and the right getting really really tired of carol and mm. sort of pressing for his abdication and well, one of the good, big uh, sorry go on i was gonna say one no. of the big movements behind this is what's called the legion of saint michael foreshadowing to the legionary state also known as the iron guard which are an ultra nationalist orthodox group their leader uh, was a guy named cornelio zelea codreanu um yeah romanian names i know <laughs> just roll with it and he led a sort of very successful youth ultra right-wing nationalist movement that did a lot of demonstrations, but also they did nice stuff too. Like they helped peasants and built bridges and like brought the harvest in and shit like that. So yeah, they hated almost everyone, but they did some nice things. You know, the little the little garnish of something nice on top. But anyway, so what happened in the and this kind of was a galvanizing moment for the nation was in the city of Yasi, they were doing a demonstration. I'm I'm sorry, I don't remember what the demonstration was, but they were like marching. It might have been like for a, some national holiday or something. But anyway, the chief of police of that town was a very opposed to the nationalists, and so he had the police like come and beat them all and throw them into prison. And we're talking, you know, these are some of these are like early teens. Like we're talking basically kids and young adults being beaten by the police. And wow. some of them are beaten so badly they actually die in prison. So this is like, this is not great. Like even if you don't like nationalists, beating teenagers to death is probably not a great, you know, precedent to set. It's, and it, it doesn't help a damn thing. It just makes it worse. <laughs> and so there was outrage about this, obviously, from everyone on the right. And they demanded that this chief of police be brought to justice. But he had political allies among the leftists in the Romanian government. And so they actually secured not only that he wouldn't be punished, but he was granted, I think it was called the Order of Romania or the Star of Romania. He was basically granted the Romanian equivalent of the Presidential Medal of Freedom, the highest civilian award. So that's kind of rubbing salt in the wound this man, you know, killed high school students and is now being given this medal. So that 
really was a galvanizing moment that kind of set Romania on fire because after this happened, the leader of that youth ultranationalist movement, Kodrono, went into the courthouse where the police chief, Constantin Manchu, worked and shot him six times. Oh, oh, right. You know, I remember reading all this. I can't believe I didn't include it. And he was arrested. And then every time they tried to put him on trial, everyone would show and the jury would show up um, wearing either Romanian flags or an armband that had a swastika on it. This is the Romanians were using it separate from the National Socialists in Germany. It's kind of a confusing chronology who started using it first. It's but anyway, this is not like the Nazi Party swastika. This is just the Romanian angry ultranationalist swastika. So that is that is a distinction that should be made. But in any case, the people on the jury would show up wearing like some sort of swastika emblem or a Romanian flag emblem that basically marked off I'm a nationalist which means I'm hella not going to punish Kodrono for shooting this chief of police. And they literally took him on a train, like, from city to city, trying to find a jury that would actually convict him, which is probably not legal. I don't think you're allowed to do that. But, and they just couldn't, so eventually they had to let him go. And that obviously did not make people on the left very happy. So figures within the government, maybe with the king's knowledge, maybe without it, it's kind of disputed, had him kidnapped and killed, and that then set off a huge wave of assassinations of left-wing politicians in the king's government who were viewed as being complicit in this killing of Kodrono, and it was this movement that really then sort of brought the force Carol to abdicate movement to the forefront of the right wing in Romania. Because it's weird, because we think of monarchists as being like the opposite of, you know, leftists, but here, the monarchy was closer to the leftist government than it was to this nationalist movement in the country. So it's a crazy, crazy situation is all I'm saying, in that our standard paradigms we like to think in in America of right, left, Republican, Democrat, you know, monarchy, whatever, they really, they don't work. You need to actually just learn the idiosyncratic who's on which side in this Romanian thing because your knowledge from American politics will not serve you well in this. Yeah, this is this is all why I think I got depressed reading all this. One, because it was so damn complicated, but two, because there were so many extreme groups. Um, one of the things I have trouble reading about is uh, radicals. And if you have radicals on the left and the right and they're like all popping up and all causing problems and all killing each other, um, you know, that's one, that's the... That's a sure sign that um, one of those sides is going to get into power and become an absolute tyranny um, because they'll still be radical when they get power. And with Romania, it happens again and again, and the government changes hands over and over again, and it's just angrier and angrier people running it. Um, so yeah, as, as I saw Romania sort of falling into this, this uh, self-eating chaos, um, I just got this really sick feeling in my stomach of like, oh shit, Ugh, I hate this. Um, but of course, this is what happened uh, largely in the Soviet Union, um, and of course, in, in most other, if not all, uh, other communist takeovers. It was just there were these ultra right, ultra left people killing each other, going to war. Like in China, you know, you had uh, Chiang Kai shek and uh, Mao up against each other, and they were just like, it was just suffering on both sides. And I don't know. I think that's why I felt sick reading this one, because I was like, again, I'm taking this pill. Have you done much in detail on the Russian Civil War? 
Uh, we did a little bit. I know with... I know it's come up tangentially, but you haven't done anything that really sort of delves into that, have you? No, I mean, uh, we got into it a tiny bit with uh, Trotsky, okay. um, but definitely yeah. okay, not. Okay, because like... there's, there's some interesting characters in there um, and potential podcast subjects. I'll leave it at that. Okay, cool. If you ever want to go down that road, feel free to take it away. I'm all for it. Um, so in... That was, a, that was a big rabbit trail, but really good information. So let's go back to our not script. Uh, <laughs> so like I was saying, it wasn't really Michael um, the first who was calling all the shots, and obviously he's losing power left and right. Um, and this yeah, one... he, he didn't really ever, at this point, he hadn't really ever had power because the king abdicates, and he sort of is installed as a non functioning monarch kind of like the monarchs of most of the european countries that still have monarchs the whole idea is basically that power is going to be primarily in the hands of the military the legion that is that 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 ultra nationalist orthodox movement they are sort of a junior partner in government and they're supposed to sort of control more of the civil side of things and the military controls the military side of things but Throughout the course of this whole legionary state, the legion is sort of continually being pu- tried to pushed out by the military, um, mm. probably mostly because, as we will see, Antonescu's kind of crazy. Um, yeah. And I think he just didn't like having to share power at all. But anyway, this podcast is not about the legionary state. We'll talk about that some other time. So continue, Aaron. <laughs> okay. So the guy who does uh, have power now is uh, Antonescu. I uh I think it's Ion or Eon. What is it? Ion. Do it I look like, like a Romanian to you? <laughs> it looks like Ion. Um, and this uh this Antonescu was the man who would decide that Romania would eventually march with Nazi Germany against the Soviet threat on the Eastern Front. Uh, and like uh, George was saying, Ion Antonescu is a weird dude because he's a huge anti-Semite, but he thought Hitler was going too far in some places. Which is weird because his anti-Semitic rhetoric feels way the hell stronger than Hitler's, not gonna lie. And this is this is another point where I just had to stop fucking reading this shit because it was so hateful, it was actually getting to me. I was like starting to be like, oh god, like this, oh my god, just, dude, are you serious? And that's honestly saying something these days because when we covered Joseph fucking Goebbels, I read his shit and listened to his shit, and it didn't quite hit like, uh, like Antonescu. We're talking balls to the wall, bloodline deep, uh, deep, deep hatred for Jews and gypsies. It reads like a fucking high school redneck skinhead wrote it. It's absolutely unchained, so I had to pull back on that one. Um, but while Antonescu's rhetoric was still really, really 100% distilled grain alcohol strong, persecution programs were still not as bad as Nazi Germany. There were still little pogroms uh, and massacres of Jews and gypsies throughout the war, and there were indeed laws that limited the rights of these uh, of these people and the things that they could actually do. But it seems like the more Antonescu hung out with Hitler throughout the war, the more like Hitler Antonescu actually became, uh, eventually surpassing him in his hatred, which was, you know, mind-boggling for me. Um, But like I said, his rhetoric pretty much began to sound worse than Goebbels, overblown, outrageously cold, and downright full of hatred. And that's where it really starts to get ugly, and again, I had to stop reading it for my own mental health, because it was like, I was just getting into this really, really, really dark place. so what you gotta know is Antonescu is a nut job in a lot of different ways, but he was the leader that they had at the time, and uh, so we're gonna have to talk about him a little bit. Um, but we're also gonna speed things up a tiny bit because I want to get I want to get uh, I want to get through this. 
So after the Battle of Stalingrad, Yulu Manyu, uh, a leader who hated Antonescu, secretly started talks with the British to figure out a way to make peace with the Soviet Union. Well, the British basically said, hey, if you want to bring down a country, all you have to do is institute and reinforce a two-party system. So Yulio goes home, does just that, and eventually those two parties merge into one national democratic bloc, inside of which one could find all the communists this state would need to collapse the system. Is that all accurate? Am I am I on point still? Ah, uh, yeah, I think so. I'm, wait, which two parties merge when you just said that? Uh, fuck, I should have written it down. Um, I think I was just generalizing for the sake of it. Okay, yeah, because, like, right now, I think the only major party is still... No, no, because there's the conservative, there's the... You know what, I'm, I'm not... This is too conf too complicated. There's, like, eight parties that are important. Yeah. Um... <laughs> So yeah, it's it's just um, it's it's so complicated. But we're gotta we gotta get to Ceausescu um, <laughs> because he's the final he's the final stage of all this. But anyway, it isn't just the communists in Romania who are causing the problem. Obviously, what about the communists that Romania is fighting in the war? Well, the Soviets are seeing a lot of victory on their way uh, to. In their war with Romania, Romania takes up most of its big steps only when Germany is on board. But on its own, it definitely struggled. This was largely because the Soviet officers in command of the Red Army were using tactics to inflict the greatest losses on the enemy that they could manage. It wasn't about victory, it was about killing. Um, of course, the Soviets saw uh, more death than just about anyone else in the war, but of course, that's what happens when you don't give a damn about the people you're throwing out onto the field. As one can see, if they take one tacit look into how the Soviet state operated, the guys in charge don't give a flying fuck about how many people died on their own side. So long as the other side was suffering, that was good enough for them, uh, no matter the cost of their own armies. Great little anecdote about that. Have you ever heard the phrase, blocking battalions? Nope. So they, this was a a wonderful tactic instituted by the Soviets during the Second World War, which was that you had whole battalions which were under the command of the NKVD who were behind the front, wherever the main front of the battle line was, like, you know, several several miles behind. And you'd these were literally battalion-sized units whose job was to shoot fleeing Soviet soldiers. Holy shit. Yeah, no, I thought I... I'm Go not ahead. sure if this is true or not. I've heard this several places, but I've not been able to confirm it. But I believe, well, I'm not going to say I believe it. I've heard that the um, M38 Nagant carb uh, carbine, the the first shortened version of the Mosin Nagant they made, was made to equip these guys because you didn't really need that long of a barrel to shoot, you know, fleeing men who were running towards you. And so you could save some metal. Yeah, that's that's horrible. <laughs> oh, God. Um, <laughs> Jesus. I <can't, laughs> See, this is why I can't handle this shit. I mean, I, I honestly, like, the more I look at World War II, I'm like, oh my god, it's so dark, there's so much bad shit going on, but then when you really dig, you're like, oh, it was a war. It, like, not just, not just like, oh, it's World War II, haha, <laughs> D-Day. It's, it's like, down at the, down at the ground level, it's just like, people are getting executed in the streets with guns, uh, by their friends. We're, you know, we're issuing shorter rifles to blocking brigades. Uh, to keep fleeing, terrified boys who aren't even armed with a gun uh, marching forward, <laughs> literally at gunpoint. Like, the blocking brigades probably had more guns than the actual brigades. Oh, uh, but remember, boys, the real glorious communism has never Union been tried. <laughs> what? 
the glorious union of Soviet republics. So good. Oh, man. Um, I'm not even going to say that sarcastically. So bad. So you should, uh, uh, you should insert, like, a little blur, a little blip of those opening notes of the Soviet anthem right there when we're talking about the blocking battalions. <laughs> God. <laughs> okay, I will. Let me mark this. That's funny. <laughs> 45. All right. Yeah, so yeah, start back with but remember, boys. Okay. But remember, boys, real communism has never been tried <laughs> until this podcast. Until this podcast. That's we're doing it for real here, everybody. I mean, comrades, we're doing it here. So, by uh, 1943, Romania had taken 150,000 casualties. Its economy was suffering as a result of this war and living conditions were getting worse by the day. Public opinion was, for the first time, starting to question both Hitler and Antonescu, as well as the, the monarchy um, as a whole. Every, everyone's like, hey, hang on a second, like, we all hate each other, but... And then they all turn <laughs> toward <laughs> the government, and they're like, hey, you're the problem! And in 1943, uh, Antonescu did not exactly help matters, uh, because he admitted that the war had been lost and he authorized his diplomats to start peace talks with the enemy, which, of course, destroyed morale and did nothing to stop uh, the Soviet Union. So Michael I, who, had, who was, you know, technically in, in you know, the monarch um, while Antonescu ran things, he then went on the air to tell everyone that Romania was officially backing out of their pact with Germany. And, and this is something that really takes everybody by surprise because he has literally never exercised actual power as long as he's been king. He was installed, you know, after his father abdicated as a basically figure king who wasn't really going to do anything. And so he just kind of like, you know, goes off the reservation here and tries to actually do something. And it just throws the whole political system into chaos because that's not supposed to happen. Right. Right. It's a little bit like uh, it's a little bit like what happened with the Queen recently. Um, I can't. I don't exactly know the details, but people were like, "Oh my God, she has actual power! What?" And it's like she had it all along, bitch. Um, so yeah. So there's also a Soviet foreign minister who incentivized the deal of breaking the allyship ally allyship. What's why can't alliance? I alliance. Oh, <laughs> God damn it! I can't do words today. <laughs> There's a Soviet foreign minister who incentivized the uh, the disruption of the alliance by promising that when the Soviets passed through Ro Romania, the Romanians wouldn't be treated poorly or become subservient to the Soviet Union. No, that would never happen. Press X to doubt. Yeah, <laughs> that all sounded pretty good to a lot of people now that it looked like the war was going to be over. They were like, fine, the Soviets can come. We don't, we don't care. We've been like a monarchy and and a civic nationalist, and then we were almost like, you know, they're like, just anything. So Antonescu was uh, then summoned to the offices of Michael I, where he asked Antonescu if he would go on fighting on behalf of the Central Powers. <laughs> just kidding, the Axis. <laughs> oh, um, I see what you did there. <laughs> Antonescu said that he would be, uh, that he would continue to fight uh, in alliance with Germany, so he was arrested on the spot. And the Romanian leadership then told everyone to get ready because the Soviets were about to invade, but also that they should basically be waiting with, for the Soviets with a Papa John's pizza and a two-liter because the Soviets definitely weren't going to hurt the populace. Oh, hey, what's this? Even though Romania said they wanted to stop fighting the Soviet Union, the, the Soviet Union's not ready to stop fighting with Romania? Huh? The Soviets are still sending Romanians to gulags even though they were told they wouldn't be? What? The Soviets lied about something? 
Are you kidding me? So to just uh, crunch a couple numbers here, it is believed that approximately 130,000 Romanian soldiers were captured by the Soviets and taken away to die in the gulags. Most of them died. Some did not, but most of those died. Yeah, so, surprising. Keep in mind, this is basically almost as high a number as their losses after three years of World War II. Yeah. So yeah, trusting the Soviets makes Michael the First tonight's biggest loser. (laughs) (laughs) So, to avoid further damage, uh, Romania switches sides and just joins the Soviets. And Joseph Stalin at this time viewed Romania as occupied Soviet territory and basically now part of the Soviet Union, which means he has complete control of the government, including the king. So Stalin tells Michael I to start replacing all the government leadership with communists who were bought and paid for by Stalin. Michael I does so, putting a communist... What? (laughs) God damn it. You keep making me edit. This is making my job harder. Uh, yeah, so Stalin, Michael does so, putting a communist named uh, Petru Groza in the prime minister's office in 1945. They also held elections, which the communists won fraudulently, of course, because they're communists. And Michael I just once tried to resist the communist uh, after going along with it every other time. And um, he, uh, he caved, <laughs> like, almost immediately. They were like, hey, hey. Don't you do that. And he's like, okay. Um, So on the last day of 1947, uh, just before New Year's, Michael was summoned to the palace where he found found, uh, that the palace was surrounded by Stalinist soldiers. There he was held at gunpoint uh, by the prime minister he had instated, literally by the prime minister that he had instated, uh, Petru Grossa. And he was forced to sign uh, an illegal abdication form and leave the country. And if he didn't, Petru Grossa threatened to murder 1,000 hostage students in that very instant, and also to wage um, an unlimited campaign of murder for years to come. So, like, he's, he gives you this paper, he says, sign the deal or I'll kill 1,000 people right now, and then I'll kill more as we go along. So Michael's like, he's what, like 20-something at this point? Yeah, he's still very young. Yeah. So he signs, uh, and now all the power in Romania belongs to literally Joseph Stalin. <laughs> Michael I probably wishing he still had those uh, 130 Romanian soldiers who are rotting in the gulags right now. I bet, but you know, he ended up he ended up leaving the country, of course. And I followed his story a tiny bit, but I didn't follow it quite to the end. But I realized I think he died in what 2009 or something like that. Yeah, it was it was quite recently. Yeah, um, didn't exactly get a hero's welcome when he went back. <laughs> um, so Ion Antonescu was handed over to the Soviets, who carted him around Moscow on, like, a, I guess, something like a tour, um, before they sent him back up to uh, Bucharest to be tried. In 1946, he was tried at the People's Tribunal uh, for war crimes, crimes against peace, and treason. He would later be executed by firing squad. So that's the end of old Antonescu. Meanwhile, there's a new leader in town by the name of Georgi Georgiou... Dej. Dej. Um, but remember, the Soviets are still hanging around, so this guy, who I'm going to call GG, doesn't have the final say and wouldn't until the late 50s. So the Soviets are still running the show in Romania. Uh, straight up Stalinists running everything. Nonetheless, GG is doing a classic communist shit, ordering the imprison- imprisonment of parasitic elements, or just straight up killing them, and parasitic elements are exactly who you think they are. 
Not so different from the Nazis after all. We'll get into that a little bit uh, later. There was a very strong resistance in Romania to communist rule, and it lasted way longer than anyone else. And just reading about the rebel fighters, I got kind of inspired and it got me out of that gloomy phase I was in. In the face of all this, these small communities in the mountains and forests just kind of said no. Uh, we don't want to play the communist game, and a lot of them were caught and executed or imprisoned, but most weren't. And the communist government went after them hard because they were afraid that anti-communism would become contagious and the whole thing would collapse like it always does. Uh, interesting that they were predicting that from uh, people literally living in the mountains. And here's where I'd like to give a shout out to the person who recommended this subject. Thank you to Sonia, who taught me how to pronounce Ceausescu, uh, who is of Romanian descent, and once visited the country, saying, quote, My sister hit a tree while skiing, at the and at the hospital, they boiled the syringes that they were reusing, and there was blood on the walls. That's an approximation, not an exact quote, but you get the idea. So thank you, Sonia. Without your help, I'd still be saying Susescu like a complete moron. Wait, so is Sonia also of Romanian descent? Yes. Because your last sentence said that Ceausescu was of Romanian descent. Uh, did, what? What? Taught what? me how to pronounce Ceausescu, who is of Romanian descent and once visited the country. Damn right he did, Aaron. He was the communist dictator there. <laughs> You're picking up my bad grammar. Fuck That's you. Uh, <laughs> uh, so anyway, Romania is in a bit of a bind at this point. The country is, of course, cutting off all uh, political liberty, dissenting voices, and basically every person who has a problem with any of what's going on here. It's a classic Soviet move right here. They also had their own form of the NKVD, the Soviet secret police uh, uh, known as the Securitate. 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 It's Securitate, isn't it? I don't know. I honestly have no idea how Romanian is pronounced. Okay, I'm going to pronounce it the Securitate. Um, so the Securitate was the organization responsible for the murder of dissenting or even people with incorrect points of view. Interesting. Uh, sort of like some of those blue check marks on Twitter, except instead of getting you into the middle of a hate mob, they just straight up shot you in the back of the head. Refreshing honesty. I know. So now that we have uh, all have a good understanding of this fucked up world that is uh, communist Romania, it's finally time to start talking about our guy, Nicolae Ceausescu. And we're going to go back to the beginnings, just like we did with the whole damn country of Romania, so we can have full context of this dude's life and rise to power within this system. But first... It's time to take a quick break and introduce a new section of the show, Honorable Mentions. Honorable Mentions is the part of the show where the person who's not hosting that week brings in a story from history that is super fun and also super small. And with that, I'd like to turn it over to George to give us a rundown on this week's Honorable Mention. Okay, so our Honorable Mention is actually uh, not too far removed from our story today in that it is also set in World War II and I thought it'd be nice to take a break from a weird country that nobody knows anything about that everything is hard to pronounce in by talking a little bit about a weirder country where everything is even harder to pronounce. You guessed it, Finland. Wow. So in March of uh, 1944, we're still going into what's called the Continuation War, which is the Finns with German support against the Soviets because uh, the Soviets tried to take over almost all of Finland. There's some great badass stories. You should read about that stuff. Nice. Finns are just really cool. But anyway, that's we're not talking about the whole country. We're talking about one man by the name of Aimo Koivunen. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. I apologize to our Finnish, Finnish listeners if I am not. But he is a soldier during this war, and he's just doing his thing. He's on a patrol with his group, and they get ambushed by Soviet forces. Not cool. Not cool. And... Hmm. um. 
they're under, you know, they're outnumbered, they're under heavy fire, and they manage to sort of slip out of this encircling movement that the Soviets are doing. And they're on skis because war is crazy in Finland and everyone's on skis. And so they've got their little ski band going and Imo is actually in front and they're starting to kind of get spread out. You know, as they're all running, they're losing their cohesion as a group. And Imo's running out of energy like he is running from the whole Red Army. He is getting tired. But then he remembers something. He is the one who's in charge in their platoon of keeping the supply of pervitin. Now, pervitin may sound like a drug for cholesterol or erectile dysfunction or something like that, but I can assure you it is much better. Pervitin is, in fact, the pharmaceutical name for methamphetamines. So he has a bottle of meth in his pocket. And he's running from the Russians. He is he did not like the use of stimulants, um, which, as an aside... During the world, during World War II, all sides used meth as stimulants. In case you didn't know that, yeah, Allies and Axis were all using meth during battle. That's a fun fact. So he's got this bottle. He's running from the Russians. He's trying to get a, a pill of meth out to give him that extra boost you need. But he's wearing these big, heavy gloves because they're in Finland. And so, what is the natural thing to do there? He just tips the whole bottle of pills into his mouth and <laughs> swallows it. So he has just eaten a like a month's supply for a whole platoon of meth. Jeez. <laughs> and now strap in, kids, because it's about to get wild. So let me tell you, he's not feeling low energy anymore. He is on fire. He is just skiing the shit away. <laughs> and, you know, the group had kind of lost cohesion. Um, that Now they're still all trying to kind of go the same direction. Um, but they're not really coherent as a group. Uh, Koivinen's way out in front for whatever reason, pure coincidence, <laughs> and he starts to kind of like get weird distorted visions and like he's fading in and out of consciousness as he's just skiing, 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 and he seems to ski for about a day like this. Wow. Just sort of fading in and out of consciousness, just skiing the hell away. <laughs> um, when he next is able to like get his mind concentrated and figure out where he is, he's about a hundred kilometers away from where he took the meth. Jesus. <laughs> so he has no idea where the patrol is. He has no ammunition and he has no food. But what he does have is a huge amount of meth in his system. <laughs> and for the next several days, he is outrunning all these Russian forces that are trying to hunt him down because like they see him and they start chasing him and he's just like just away on these meth-powered skis. <laughs> and then he hits a landmine. And oh, shit. is just, he's, you know, all that concussive force just knocks him into unconsciousness for about a week. We and then he wakes up, and he's still re he is still ready to go. There's, it's so cold that, you know, your body metabolizes very slowly, so he still had a lot of the meth in his system. So he's ready to go. So during the next uh, week and a half, two weeks, he skis another 400 kilometers being chased by Russians, um, during which he eats a bird that he catches and a pine cone, and that's it. <laughs> and eventually he makes it back to Finnish forces and is taken in for a medical examination. Fun fact, this is the first clinical diagnosis of the effects of, of methamphetamine overdose. He has lost a significant amount of weight, so he weighs less i think it's either less than 100 pounds or just about 100 pounds at this point wow he still has a resting heart rate 
of 200 beats a minute. <laughs> now, your normal resting heart rate is like around 80. This is two weeks after taking all that meth. His heart rate is still 200 beats a minute. So we don't even know what it must have been at the height. Wow. And the way this actually works is the way methamphetamine overdose kills you is that your metabolism speeds up so fast that it produces too much heat and your brain cooks, basically. But because he's out there unprotected in the Finnish winter, he doesn't die because there's enough cold on the outside to counteract the meth fires on the inside. <laughs> so he's basically become a human combustion engine, skis 500 miles, steps on a landmine, eats a bird, makes it to safety. And this is my favorite part. He doesn't die young. Despite this horrendous thing that's happened to his body, he lives until 1989, 45 years after this. And I will say that in all pictures of him after this, though, he has a crazy look in his eyes. Like, I don't think the meth eyes ever really went away. (laughs) That's hilarious, man. So obviously the takeaway from this is clear. Aaron, what is the lesson this teaches us? Don't do drugs. (laughs) I guess. Okay. (laughs) Unless you're running from Soviets. (laughs) Unless you're running from Soviets, kids. Then just dip that bottle of meth in and ski 500 miles. Yep, and eat a pine cone. (laughs) And eat a pine cone. Oh, that was some much-needed levity. Well, that wraps up our first honorable mentions segment. (laughs) Do you ever just eat a month's worth of methamphetamine to flex on Soviets? (laughs) All the time. <laughs> All right. And with that, yeah, let's turn it back to you, Aaron. We're getting back to Ceausescu, and this is why it's going to be a multi-part. Um, so we're going to, this is, this is the very beginning of the Ceausescu story. Um, Ceausescu was born in the village of Scornicesti, I think. I think that's how it's pronounced. In the January of 1918, which is a great year to be born. <laughs> the First World War is coming to an end. It's all joy and rainbows, yada, yada. And like most communist leaders, he was born into a peasant family and was one of only nine, or only nine children, <laughs> one of nine children on the land. His father was a farmer who did his best to make ends meet, but he was also apparently super religious and kind of abusive, which reminds me of Mao's dad quite a bit, actually. So it's the whole. Are dad you telling issue. me that people's upbringing can affect their psyche? <laughs> Shocking. To blame. The mother and the father. Oompa Loompa. <laughs> so we've learned that Ceausescu was an Oompa Loompa, all right? <laughs> and at 11 Oompa Loompa years uh, old, Ceausescu ran away from home and lived with his sister and became an apprentice to a cobbler. And early on, very early on, he was attracted to communism, probably because it represented some kind of rep- resistance to uh, Nikolai's very real daddy issues. Did communism like him back? Uh, it, apparently it did. And so this, this whole daddy issue thing, we just we just covered this, but this is a theme we've frequented across when studying radicals. Somebody's dad was ultra-religious or abusive, so they ran away from home to find some kind of alternative. They hate their father and they're seeking balance, but they've already been on one far end of the spectrum, so they go to the other extreme of the spectrum. And just like with Joseph Goebbels, they jump on board because the only people uh, waiting for them uh, are the ones who also understand uh, understand these issues and have the same problems. Uh, so, like, Goebbels was, like, he was, like, short, and he had one leg was way the fuck longer than the other, and um, some girl broke up with him, and so he just he started getting really radicalized, and it was like, oh, this, oh the Nazis are here. <laughs> I, I didn't know Goebbels was a college student in 2016. Uh, he actually is, so... <laughs> 
Anyway, like a typical communist, Ceausescu starts getting involved in marches and protests and all kinds of subversive behaviors. And let's be honest with ourselves here, it kind of makes sense. Uh, as we have just learned, 20th century Romania was a clusterfuck of ideologies from its conception. Everybody was getting radicalized from one end of the spectrum to the other. It's like Metro 2033, even after the nuclear holocaust, the Nazis and the communists are still having a war underground. The ride never stops for these people. Um, so Ceausescu got radicalized on the side uh, that had the daddy, daddy issues, and uh, <laughs> instead of the side that had the mommy issues. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it's getting a little bit Freudian here. Okay, I'm gonna quit. <laughs> Ceausescu got arrested for his revolutionary behavior quite frequently, with his first arrest being at the age of 15 when he got into a brawl with some fascists during a strike. His many arrests no doubt fueled his hatred for the establishment and radicalized him even more. Prison has a way of doing that to people. Um, I mean, we've already seen that. Like, it's like Hitler went to prison. Fucking Mao, I think, went to prison. It's like they go to prison and they just get worse. So... <laughs> To sum up, uh, in, his teens, in his teens, Ceausescu was essentially an Antifa member. Uh, he was literally anti-fascist, he was an Antifa member, um, who actually went down for it a couple of times. But this didn't keep him from love. Between using his, his using uh, frequent flyer miles for business trips to the local prison, somehow Ceausescu met a woman who deserves an episode... Episode... <laughs> episode... <laughs> I'm too, too much Romanian here. Episode of her own. Her name was Elena Petrescu. Um... They were married in 1947, but dated for a good long while beforehand, because it's kind of hard to get married when you keep going to prison. <laughs> he spent a good amount of time in the internment camps set up by the Iron Guard and Antonescu, where he met other fellow Antifa members who were good, uh, good and radicalized. And in one stint, he shared a cell with none other than Gigi, Georges, Georgiou, Dej, or Gigi, uh, and became something like an apprentice to his Antifa brick-throwing Portland-ass ways. In prison, Gigi and Ceausescu ran the equivalent to Mao's struggle sessions, and if you don't remember what those are, or you weren't here, or whatever, you don't know, because we didn't... Well, you know what they are, because you're a historian. Um, half a historian. This is a ritual <laughs> where communists basically sit in a circle and confess their sins against the order. Um, and in uh, communist China, the struggle sessions were, you know, usually ended up in people, like, dying. <laughs> like, if you... If you didn't confess enough sins or you confess too many, you could get beaten up or killed. Um, and the fact that this is a common factor between communist movements is really, really striking. So the people who didn't confess an adequate number of sins against the movement uh, were frequently beaten. Uh, or like I said, in Mao's case, they were just killed. So it wow, turns out... This is, this is taking virtue signaling to unheard of heights. It's weird, man. It, it's it's very, very culty. Um I, I, As many radical ideologies are. Yeah, I experienced a little bit of this kind of shit growing up. Uh, like some of the camps I would go to, Christian camps, like we would sometimes sit in a circle and people would just talk about what sins they were dealing with. And unlike uh, communists, we didn't beat them up. We just prayed for them. <laughs> um, That's because you were weak. <laughs> <laughs> well, let God beat them up. So anyway, it turns out that these rap battles between communists is actually a way of consolidating power. Um, those who manage to toe the line between confessing just enough to express uh, just enough sin to expressing adequate fervor for the revolution rose to the top. And the person who could strike that balance the best in these struggle sessions uh, was Gigi, with Ceausescu as his enforcer. And an enforcer, just like in the mafia, basically made sure that people went along with it by beating them half to death. <laughs> Oh, fuck, communism sucks. All right, so 
And of course, as Romania fell to communism and the Russian Soviet was looking for people uh, to put out of power, both Gigi and his enforcer Nicolae Ceausescu made the shortlist for new leaders in Romania. Ceausescu went from prison to becoming an, officially, an official in the newly forming, forming communist government. His first position was that of Secretary of the Union of Communist Youth, which was just like the Hitler Youth except communist, and this occurred in 1944. The same year that a certain Finn was having a lot of fun up, the, <laughs> up in the snow. Oh my god, coincidences never happen. There are no coincidences. Synchronicity. Yeah, baby. So once the <laughs> communists had indeed seized full control of Romania in 1947, Ceausescu got a, no, a, new, a new role, I almost said new rule, uh, in the government, serving as both the head of the Ministry of Agriculture and uh, d Deputy Minister of the Armed Forces. With no military experience, he was made a major general, which is a classic communist move, and also a move that's typically deadly for a couple hundred thousand people. <laughs> Sacrifices must be made for the uh, <laughs> perpetual revolution. Yeah. <laughs> always going to have those struggle sessions. You're never getting out, and they'll get you eventually. They will. You will always go down. It's like uh, Solzhenitsyn said. Um, even, like, he was, like, totally into it, and they still got him for something stupid. They took to be wrong about something he said about Joseph Stalin in a letter to his mom, which was opened, read by government officials, and used to justify his arrest and uh, imprisonment in the Gulag Archipelago. Uh, let's see. Oh, guys, you gotta watch Death of Stalin. If you haven't watched it, my god, I don't know what you're doing with your life. It's a perfect picture of what of how these, like, political cults work. This is one of the rare instances where I can 100% agree with what Aaron has said. <laughs> it is a amazing movie. Yeah. So let's talk about uh, Gigi for just a second. Here's a guy um, who was an electrician who got fired from every job he ever had because he was always really busy organizing unions to protest low wages and bad hours. Which, I get it, like, this was during the Industrial Revolution, right? Like low wages and bad hours are kind of a thing. Like, there was also, <laughs> Literally a way of life. Yeah, it, there was also like child labor. So I, I can I can get behind that. Um, but at a certain point, he was literally no longer hireable. So he did what everyone who can't be hired at a normal fucking job does. He gets into politics. That is um, a classic move. Yeah, he organizes unions to protest. Uh, wait, shit, I just read that line. He got into political action putting posters up all over the place about how capitalism has failed and basically all was lost unless the people rose up. He was, of course, arrested many times for this revolutionary behavior. He also gained power in the face of governmental resistance, largely because the government wasn't helping matters by cutting wages and suppressing any kind of complaint about the way things were working. So, like, he was out there protesting. People were like, wages are bad, wages are bad. And they're like, you think they're bad now? Boom. Worse. So this would this is during the 30s then, right? This we're, yeah. we're currently talking about. Yeah. Yeah. So at this same time, you have a lot of communists gaining power in cities because they're able to basically radicalize oppressed workers in the cities. Well, meanwhile, you have the more rural areas are tending towards the orthodox nationalist radicalism because it's also shitty for them, but their worldview is so different. Like. That's the secret. The real divide in this country is urban versus rural. Don't tell them I told you that. Oh, but, shit. <laughs> the, so in the cities, you have radicalization going mostly left among industrial workers. And then the oppressed peasants in the countryside who also have it really shitty. You have more radicalization going right by groups like the Legion of St. Michael. 
Right. It's a com city mentality versus rural rural mentality is com it's just completely opposed. They they just don't think the same way. Um, so that's why it makes sense that all this shit goes down in the cities. Um, let's see. So. Yeah, like, we covered workers' rights in our Bill Blizzard episode, where corporatists were literally bombing people who were on strike because they were being forced uh, to work in intolerable conditions. And for those of you who don't know, these complaints were often entirely legitimate, but the solutions offered by communists and other radicals were often entirely disastrous for the societies in which they were allowed to be enacted. And a good book on this topic is The Road to Wigan Pier by George Orwell, which I never shut the fuck up about because I just think it's so good. It documents the plight of the worker in an industrial society and, of course, the dehumanization of the worker in the industrial society uh, with self-serving and uh, in the in the basically doing work for free um, for self-serving and masturbatory leadership. It usually ends with some worker literally going to their boss's office and shooting them. Um, and that happened a lot in the Bill Blizzard story, so... <laughs> Gigi was imprisoned, like Ceausescu, multiple times for his revolutionary activities. This was all, of course, during Antonescu's reign in Romania. In 1944, Gigi went to a summer camp in Targu Ju, where he met Ceausescu and started up his epic rap battles. Eventually, during the fall of Antonescu and the invasion of the Soviets, Gigi escaped the camp and went from being an activist electrician who was always getting fired to literally being the general secretary of the new communist regime in Romania. Jeez. Yeah. It's like Mao. He was just a teacher. <laughs> um, so anyway, at the time, uh, the unofficial leader of the Romanian Communist Party was Anna Pauker, uh, who claimed leadership over what was known as the Muscovite faction. I take it to mean Muscovite as in pro-Russian? Uh, yes. She as was... in st Stalinist? Yes. Uh, she was actually the first foreign minister in... or a first female foreign minister in history... And was responsible for the Great Purges of 1945 in Romania, which saw the persecution of tens of thousands of Romanians. Her leadership was not popular. I wonder why. <laughs> um, it's actually more complicated. Um, her problem was that she was constantly waffling between serving the Soviet Union or serving, serving Romania. She started to get a bad rap among Soviet leadership, especially with Joseph Stalin, because she openly opposed him on many of his plans. And for those of you who have been listening to us for a good long while, you probably know what happens uh, to waffles in real time. Uh, I'm sorry, in radical times. Um, in the 1950s, uh, she got in a good amount of trouble for helping uh, Jewish refugees reach Israel because Joseph Stalin had entered his anti-Zionist phase and had begun his own little campaign against Jewish folks. Pauker also started allowing farmers who had been collectivized to return to private farming because everyone was starving again and refused to persecute kulaks as the soviets did killing kulaks Amazing. yeah killing kulaks was an all-time soviet union classic so pauker going against that policy uh, got a big no-no from stalin and she started losing popularity with both so soviets and romanians very quickly because remember the uh, the populace of romania is also very radicalized but not all of them are stalinists um, so Joseph Stalin actually began to take action against Pauker and her faction, the Muscovites, pretty quickly. It's ugly, but this is what happened. Uh, Joseph Stalin accused Pauker of being a nationalist, because which was you know a big no-no. Communists are not nationalists; they're globalists, right? They want they want the perpetual revolution all over the world. Um, so a good thing to throw at a person who's claiming to be a communist is saying you're a nationalist. And the reason he justified calling her a nationalist was because she was focused on getting Jews immigrated to Israel uh, and away from the persecution in, in Russia and elsewhere. 
Yeah, so nationalism is against any, any, all kinds of Marxist doctrines, so it can't be allowed in any form. And remember, collectivization is about destroying national identity and replacing it with universal perpetual revolution mindset. So Pauker is not long for this political world acting like this. Um, so in 1953, she was arrested and tortured by Stalinists, but was later put under house arrest. When Stalin died, uh, she was basically freed from the constant fear of execution or assassination at the hands of the Stalinists. And when she learned of the death of Stalin, uh, she reportedly immediately started weeping. And the person who, t who told her about it said, Don't cry. If Stalin were still alive, you'd be dead. Wow. Well, I'm, I'm going to remember that next time I'm comforting someone who's crying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> also, and this is a largely unknown fact to most of the historical community, the colleague then added, They're going to make a fire movie about it in like 70 years, so keep your chin up. <laughs> Wait, did they actually make a movie about it? About the death of Stalin? Yes. <laughs> oh, I thought you meant about um about Pauker. Okay, never oh, mind. Oh, no, no. Yes, no, movie absolutely fire. <laughs> Best movie I've seen in a year. So Pauker was actually reinstated into Romanian leadership, uh, and she was rebranded. There was a propaganda campaign run, uh, basically saying that she was always super Stalinist, and never, ever... Uh, it was those reactionaries who faked the whole nationalism thing yeah it's always those reactionaries yeah. they are everywhere yeah. man um but you know they rebranded her but it didn't last long because she went against the new post-stalin extremists the still stalinists um and was tried again by high-level communists and was forced out of the government entirely luckily avoiding execution or further torture and the man behind this forced retirement, Gigi, who would now take power in Romania. So, no, in fairness, being able to be a ex-communist leader is a pretty impressive feat because that doesn't happen much. There's usually not a long career for former communist leaders. Yeah. Um, so, I see this as an absolute win. <laughs> so, Pauker would just go off and die of cancer within a few years, unfortunately. Um, and Gigi and the communists in Russia are a little behind the times, so Soviet Russia at this time in history is de-Stalinizing, meaning people like Nikita Khrushchev and his ilk are realizing that they may have gone too far in a few places, and it's time to scale back the gulags a little bit. But Gigi is still full Stalinist and very much about bringing Romania through the full cycle of communist revolution. So under Gigi, Romania... I'm getting tired of saying Gigi now. Um, under Gigi, <laughs> Romania saw the final exfiltration of Soviet influence as the Soviets began focusing more on things at home and dealing with their own reforms because after the revolution and the perpetual revolution and the death of Stalin and everything, Russia was in chaos. So Romania opened up a fresh relationship with the United States due to a heavy reliance on trade with the Soviet Union, which wasn't doing so hot at the time, obviously. <laughs> the goal was to overall improve the living standards through further industrialization and the Romanians just didn't have the pathways to securing the required machinery. And throughout the 1960s, Romania sought to emphasize its sovereignty from the Soviet Union and attempted to improve its relations with other countries in the West. But it was not to last. Gigi died in 1965. Now, it wasn't entirely clear who was going to fill his shoes, but the first man in line was his right-hand man, Nikolai Ceausescu. So but he died of natural causes? Yes. Okay, so there's no... As far as we know. There's no hanky-panky about his death? As far as we know. Um, okay. He was having health problems for a good long while before he died. But uh, Ceausescu was ready to shake things up. And he gets started with his mad plan for Romania immediately after taking office. 
And what would follow this man's assumption of power would be one crazy plan that would essentially attempt to turn Romania from a backwater, dying country that was still obsessed with Stalin into an actual competitive world power. And that's where we're going to stop for today, and we'll get into that absolutely crazy plan when we come back. Yeehaw. <laughs> uh, I'd like to take a quick moment to sh uh, shout out a, uh, uh, a friendly uh, person who listens to the show. Um, I only know that their name on Twitter is I Hate Social Media. Um, <laughs> and I'm, Absolute legend. I'm pretty sure they made the account just so they could tell me um they could give me good feedback i hate social media gave us a ton of awesome feedback about uh a couple a couple of our episodes or at least yeah and we appreciate that so much and now that we have two people who are active on on the social page and all that stuff um feedback is greatly appreciated and we just we love it when you guys uh have something to say or want to add something to the discussion or if you have a question or anything like that that you'd like answered on the air or something like that. We're trying to implement a lot of new ways for you, for you guys to, to connect with us. Um, because, because we want to connect with you because we literally have no friends. <laughs> Precisely. And sort of to piggyback on that, um, I'll be, uh, trying to keep uh, keep tabs on the Facebook page as Aaron continues his descent into some sort of weird neo-Luddism and eventually cuts off from the modern world entirely and goes and starts wearing some sort of loincloth and living in a cave and not being on the internet at all, I will be taking over the Facebook side of things. So, um, yeah, I'll be checking the page. I will be posting memes. There will be memes. It's true. So stay tuned for the memes. Yeah, George is a meme machine. It's It's going to be good. Um, so yeah, and engage with us. Like said, send him. Like Aaron said, you send a message. Uh, if you have a some question you want answered on air, uh, if you want to berate Aaron for his sloppy research, I will convey that to him. In fact, I'll <laughs> add my own criticisms on top. So just swing away. Yeah, please swing away. I need to be told how much of a dumbass I am. It doesn't happen enough. Um, yeah, we're also looking to get an Instagram page soon, too, so you guys don't have to deal with the toxic sites. You can deal with the nice site. <laughs> um, so, yeah, those, that's basically all I have in the way of announcements. So, should we sum up where we are in this story a little bit? I think we should. It's been a confusing ride. It has been a confusing ride. We've talked about a lot of names, uh, and we've only just now gotten to Ceausescu, the guy who looked like he made out with an industrial vacuum cleaner. And um, that's why we're all excited next week to chow down on Ceausescu. Oh, man. Wow. We're really going to chow down on Ceausescu. Wow. <laughs> Can you never use that voice on air again? I'll never do it again. Um, I'd like to do... I really want to do an episode where we pretend that we're, like, we're like super hip, like, actual podcasters who, like, have a YouTube channel. And they, oh, talk, they talk about, like pop culture and shit like that oh that would be so funny here give me a minute i have to google find out where my nearest starbucks is <laughs> so here, here's what we uh here's what we learned okay so we began with the uh we, the dawn we began of time what <laughs> the dawn of time yeah literally the dawn of time um and romania joined the uh holy league to fight off the ottomans all that good stuff eventually it was united uh, Hungary had Transylvania for a while, but eventually Romania got that too. And this whole two-party system, crap started happening. World War I came along and shit got real. Um, and the Romanians got fucked over in that war, and they also got fucked over in World War II. They were constantly switching sides. Uh, by constantly, I mean they switched once. 
joined with Nazi Germany and eventually switched uh, switched to the uh, to the Soviet Bros and uh, became comrades instead of comrades. And it was a little bit too late. And they did a little bit too late, and they were kind of behind the, the curve, and they went through so many leaders who were like failed electricians and all that kind of shit, and assassinations were happening left. It's just straight up chaos. And then this guy named Nikolai Ceausescu comes along, and he's got a new plan, and things are going to look really, really different in this uh, this new place of Romania. This is a turning point in Romanian history, um, where it was really the beginning of the end, you might say. Um, of this of this weird like identity problem that Romania was having um, that's why I decided to, to split it off here uh, is because Nikolai Ceausescu started really just changing shit um, and it happened over the course of, of his entire rule so and he went through different stages and of uh, popularity and unpopularity and all that stuff um, it's really good so we'll get there next week Alrighty. I think that's all I got. Unless you want to talk about some shit. Oh, no, no. I'm good. Maybe I want to talk about the left-right dichotomy a tiny bit. Just because it's one of the things we've talked about every time we've covered a, a communist on the show. That always produces... That always seems to produce the problems. And when they start really hating each other and radicalizing, that's when you get the rise of tyrannies. Uh, and... I don't know why, I don't, I mean, personally, I, I just don't engage with politics um, anymore. Used to, used to be big into it, now I just honestly don't care, because there's too many gears moving right now that it's like, well, I don't know, sometimes I feel like, what am I going to do? But, I don't know, is that an, an incorrect kind of state of mind, do you think? Should I be more engaged? Well, it depends what you uh, envision as the political future of this country, I would say. Um... I'm probably a little bit more politically engaged than you, um, but that's probably just, you know, due to me working out my own weird neuroses about narcissism and whatnot. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but no, it's, I think what I would like to say is that it's important to remember how difficult it can actually be to nail down the specifics of the whole right-left thing, hmm. especially as Americans. Um, it can be really hard to get a sort of precise like measuring line of who do we associate with who what makes something left versus right versus center mm -hmm. and that that's why and this is i'm just sort of flashing my historicist credentials here that's why there really is no universally universally applicable like pattern you can use and that's why it's so important to understand the historical social anthropological religious cultural what have you context of any country that you want to talk about the politics in because there is no such thing as politics in the abstract in a vacuum they always take place in societies and it's only by understanding those social atmospheres that you can get any kind of idea what the politics mean otherwise it's just a bunch of words and names that you don't really understand and right and left are useless labels in many cases because they really fail to capture the complexity and they can even be very very misleading because somebody who we talk about as being right wing in you know 1840s Montenegro I just I don't think Mon did Montenegro exist in, I, I don't know anyway um you know isn't necessarily going to look like someone who's right wing in 1940s Romania or right wing in you know mid 2000s Alabama so it's these terms they're useful 
as really, really broad brushstrokes, but they are misleading and they are dangerous. So I try to I try to try to limit the use of the just plain right left without a little bit more background. Right. Yeah. I mean, because it's like you know, I look at Romania and you know all the stories we covered. Um, and I'm like, where would I fall in that? And I really don't know because I'm not, I'm not there at that time with those people in that culture. Um, I don't have the same history, and it's it's hard for me to say which which side, um, which side I would uh, align with. I think just normal people who live in the country probably. Um, just <laughs> this me this meme made by historicist gang. <laughs> Um, but yeah, we, we, we have this conversation pretty much every time. I'm glad you had a lot, a little bit to say on it. Cause honestly, I'm, I'm all talked out, um, on that topic because I've, when, every time I cover, uh, these revolutions and all this stuff, I'm just like, okay, where's the lefties? Where's the righties? What are their names? Who's their figurehead? How are they consolidating power? And it's like, oh, it's such a drag, but you know, I did it to myself. I did choose to cover Nikolai Ceausescu, but it was also a request from a listener. So there you go. We are benevolent gods. We are benevolent meme gods who literally live in a basement with a damn cat. Yep. Uh, I don't even know, like, what the lore is with you anymore. Like, James and I just, like, built the history lab together, and then you came along, and I found you in a closet, and... I don't know. Do you, you, want, know do you want your character to live in the history lab? I haven't given it the slightest amount of thought. <laughs> it has literally not disturbed my serene consciousness for the minutest fraction of a microsecond. Wow, that's good to know. Okay. <laughs> In that case, do you think it's time to head to the surface? I think it is time to head to the surface, oh. whichever way that is from here. Well, let's... Who knows? This glass elevator uh, goes up, left, right, uh, down, all directions. Uh, up is down. Left is right. <laughs> Quotest superior, secret quotest inferior. What? That which is above is like that which is below. Oh, that's that's fucking scary. It's from an it's from a, it's from an alchemical text. One of these days, you need to do your all your research in Latin. <laughs> <laughs> We're trying to gain listeners. Here. That's true. There it goes. Hold on tight. I'm not exactly sure what's going to happen. Faster, faster. If we don't pick up enough speed, we'll never get through. Get through what? Aha. Uh-huh. You mean we're going up and out? But this roof is made of glass. It'll shatter into a thousand pieces. But we'll be cut to ribbons. Probably. Hold on, everybody. Here it comes. Congratulations. Get up. So, George, what are you going to do for the rest of the day? I am going to... That is an excellent question. Mm. I will probably read and then cry myself to sleep like I do most nights. Wow. Uh, 
Alternatively, I might make some memes to post on the Facebook page. That's a great idea. You should do that. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. Go on. I'm not going to think about Romania. <laughs> ah, you're going to think about Finland. Yep, I'm going nice. to think about Finland, and I'm going to think about meth head skiers. Legendary. Yeah. Well, I think it's time to bring the show to an end for today. If you hate us, you're probably right, so consider funding the show by becoming a patron on Patreon.com. Or if Patreon is not your thing, drop us a little tip in Venmo. That's at WTADP. Our cover art was created by the Ian Patterson, uh, the Ian Patterson, the Ian Patterson of Ian Patterson Illustration. You can view more of his wonderfully whimsical work at www.ipattersonillustration.com. With all that being said, we'll close out and let the sounds of Romanian horror play you out.